0: Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Red Poker Podcast, sponsored, as always, by Running Aces Racetrack, Casino, and Hotel, and Website Amp. And in this chats edition of the podcast, we're going to hang out with a familiar voice, a familiar person to all of you, Jonathan Little. Uh, he's a player, he's a coach, he's an author, he's head of PokerCoaching.com, and he is a great ambassador of the game. Uh, before we jump into Jonathan, let me introduce the panel. Uh, my name is Steve Fredland. I go by Poker Steve in the Poker Stars home game. And last week, I, I gave you a quote from Iduwu Koyinikan uh, and loved this. I've got another one from him. Uh, he says, he who masters the power formed by a group of people working together has within his grasp... One of the greatest powers known to man
1: mm, that sounds like a good one my name's jim reed and i'm just here to say that only a fool worries about things that he cannot change
0: oh nice call me a fool well before we jump into jonathan real quick uh, we're going to talk about this later in the episode and some of our community happenings but just real quick the free jatin training has wrapped up by the time you're listening to this We've got our learn pro poker partnership uh, that we'll talk a little bit more about the book study book has been decided and Marek madness is underway. Uh, our heads up bracket, the predictions have closed uh, and the, the play has begun Thursday nights on Twitch. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, let's bring them in. Uh, Mr. Jonathan little. How are we, sir? I'm great. I'm happy to be here today. Uh,
2: since we started recording, they decided to start hammering above my head. So, you know, that's uh, that's how it goes. Regular stuff. Perfect timing for
0: the podcast. Yeah, so we're we're running good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm running hot already right off the bat, but that's okay. We'll do our best. I'll, I'll pretend like I have a walkie-talkie
0: here instead of a microphone and I'll mute myself and I'll mute myself. Like right. a true professional, it's not
2: my first rodeo.
0: Right. Well, if if anything knows anything about, about being true professionals, it's us. I mean, there's, you know, that that's us for sure. Well, remind us. So, where are you actually calling in from? Where where's all this hammering occurring? Oh, he he did. He he promised he was going to mute himself. He pulled a somsky just for John, who's not here today. He pulled a somsky. There
2: you go. Yeah, it's happening in New York. We are grinding it out home with the family. So, i um, trying to take care of all all of the business.
0: Yeah. Have you been uh, personally, are you getting out to play at all? Are you doing just online or are you doing anything live? I've done a little bit of both. I was, I played on Poker After Dark recently in Las
2: Vegas a a few months ago. So that was a lot of fun. So, um, but mostly staying home for the most
0: part. Okay. Not flying around too much. Not too much. Okay. So tell us what's new. Catch us up a little bit. uh, Any new writings, any new uh, (sighs) new things with pokercoaching.com? Kind of give us the, give us the skinny on what's going down with Jonathan Little
2: there is always something happening. So I'm finishing up on a book. It's actually a remake of my first book yeah. from a long time ago called Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 1 and 2. We're putting it together into one big book. I basically rewrote the whole thing. There's a lot of additional new content and it turns out a lot of what I did whenever I first wrote the book about 10 years ago is still roughly correct today. But back then I did not necessarily know why, because we did not have any sort of GTO solvers, but I was roughly playing like the solver recommends to some extent, and now we know why. And also there were a few spots that I was playing poorly back then. And there are a lot of things I was doing that were just like player pool exploits, just continuation bet a lot, right? Just apply a lot of aggression. So I used to apply aggression a little bit too maniacally, I think, but that still may be good because people still fold too often. As long as people fold too often, you can be a little bit overly aggressive and it's usually going to work out fine. So um, that's wrapping up. That should hopefully be out in June or July of 2021. And, um, you know, continuously growing pokercoaching.com. We just brought in a new uh, pro to make some high stakes spin and go content. That's a lot of fun. Those are games that are kind of uh, not, not fully out in the open, which is, which is neat. There's a lot of money being made in those games and, I'm happy to have that coming out sometime in mid March, but we won't talk about that too much. That's
0: coming. That's at PokerCoaching.com. dot <laughs> and uh, there's there's always something going on. We're always do, do we having... get to reveal the name of the pro, or is that uh, held under wraps till mid March? And we'll we'll wait for that for now. No, because no you never know what may happen. I always know, know the saying... site may burn down between now and then. Yeah, good fair fair point. Just on on, on that sort of spin and goes, maybe just. Uh, people an idea what what are we talking about there because i think not everybody might know what that what that concept is spin and goes have been around for a few years they're played online and essentially it's a
2: three-person winner take all sit and go but every time you sit down to play let's say we buy in for ten dollars each most of the time we'll be playing for a twenty dollar prize pool which is not the full prize pool where that other ten dollars go Nice well that ten dollars goes. Every once in a while, to players who play in other games. So sometimes, whenever you sit down, they will spin the wheel, and sometimes it's two times your initial buy-in. Sometimes it's four. Sometimes it's eight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's ten thousand. So every once in a while, not all that often, you get to play the sit and go for you know a hundred times your buy-in or five hundred times your buy-in or whatever it is, and that that creates a gambling aspect to the game and. Results often look a little bit more like multi-table tournaments than they do like cash games because usually you're playing for two times your buy in and you're just slowly trickling down, but then you'll have a big spike, right? And as long as you understand that that is the game you signed up for, they can be immensely profitable, even at the high stakes because it turns out a lot of people like to gamble and spin the wheel, even if they don't know what they're doing. The games are usually kind of turbo-y structured, but on a lot of the sites, the structures are very fast whenever you spin a two times multiplier. And they are actually kind of slow whenever you spend one of the big multipliers. So you need to be able to play well, very shallow stacked and turbo games and also in kind of deeper stacked, slower structured games. That's that a lot of people view shallow stack poker kind of like bingo. They think, all right, I got 10 big blinds, I'm all in. But that's a pretty big mistake. You get to have limping ranges, min raising ranges, et cetera. And if you make the error of only shoving or folding, you're gonna be lighting your money on fire. So we're gonna make sure that you do not do that.
0: Interesting. So the spinning go concept, you you know, going into that particular tournament, if you're what you're playing for, it's not like after the fact you spin it, it's, you know, as you're going in.
2: Correct. You know, at the very start of the game, at the start of the game, it looks like a slot machine, it spins a wheel and it says uh, you're playing for two buy-ins, Crazy. four buy-ins, eight buy-ins, whatever. So you know what you're playing for. And if you're playing for a big one, usually a site will post on the site, oh, there's a game happening right now for 10,000 buy-ins, come watch it. So, you What's know, it's a, that
0: you played? Yeah, it's a
2: gambling atmosphere, kind of like a casino, right? You go and whenever there's a slot machine where someone's winning the game, the game is making all sorts of noise and everybody comes over and watches and it's a big spectacle. And I, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad for poker, but it certainly results in people gambling a lot. Um, also some of the sites are not so upfront with what the rake is in these games. Sometimes the rake is high, sometimes it's not. Um, and then games where the tournament is structured to be relatively turbo, you can't really justify paying a whole lot of rake. So make sure if you're playing in the games, the rake is minimal.
0: So what's the biggest factor that you've played for?
2: I have not played a whole lot of spinning ghosts, because I know that I am not adequately skilled at the game. It's important <laughs> to recognize if you are a good winning player or if you are not. And I mean, I've, I've played a decent amount and roughly broke even, but I mean, that's that's nothing to brag about, but I haven't studied the game, right? If you're going to go learn to play any game, you must study immensely. I'm not playing poker to try to spin a slot machine wheel and get lucky. I'm trying to play in games where I have an edge. So I have not played many spinning goes, but... I've gotten a bunch of requests for content for it, so we're we're happy
1: to get it. Yeah, and anytime there's a new variant like this that comes out, you know, the most profitable players are typically the ones that just learn the rules the fastest and kind of learn the the rules of thumb and uh, the edges in that particular game the fastest, just like PLO and Open Face Chinese and all that stuff that becomes popular. So um, if you're not, it sounds like you guys are kind of providing that kind of early adopter level of, uh, of insight to more of recreational players.
2: Well, so go has been around for a long time, actually, three or four years. So the game's not especially new, but they are relatively new to some of the other sites. It used to be pretty much only on PokerStars, but now they're on Party Poker and GG, and I'm not sure what other sites. But um, it's a game that people play, right? I I am a big fan of making sure that my students learn games that are played at a relatively high stake, but also, I think, have a future. And... I was not actually convinced that spin and goes had much of a future because there's been a bunch of different kinds of uh, sit and go variants, like um, double or nothing sit and goes. Those basically died. There were heads up sit and goes. Those basically died. And all other forms of the game. And it seems like spin and goes have actually caught on and you can play them for high stakes. I mean, there are $500 buying games happening all the time. And that results in there being potential profit to scoop up. But it's very important to make sure you're studying a game with a future. A long time ago, someone was bragging to me about how he was the biggest winner at six handed pot limit Omaha sit and goes. And I'm like, Oh, cool. You're probably making a bunch of money. He's like, yeah, man, I win 50 or hundred bucks a day. I'm crushing it. And <laughs> it's true. He did. They he was playing the $10 games, had a solid ROI, 30% or something. And it provided him about a $50 or hundred dollars per day income. And I don't not want my students devoting their life to a game where they can win at most $50 or hundred dollars a day. So while i may miss out on some of the like early adoption money that comes from playing in a new game where a lot of people are not fully versed in what they're doing in exchange for that i don't waste their time learning a game that most likely will die and it turns out most games do kind of die or at least dwindle down to some extent
0: mm-hmm. so we're we're joined by troy chapman from uh, from australia too as we joined the panel so you might hear another voice uh, jump in here but i, I kind of want to touch a little bit on what you just said about the you know, okay, so what we know from the recreational world, here's Jonathan Little, very accomplished player. Uh, why don't you play these? Well, because I'm not really, I, I don't know the game very well. We're like, it's three-handed poker. Like you're, you're a genius. Like how can you not be good? And I think what, what I like about that is that, you you know, you kind of know your game, you know, your strengths, that kind of thing. But how does that then relate? How, how What principle can we take out of that as recreational players? Because I think a lot of us are are not great at really being disciplined about choosing the right stakes, the right games, the right situations for us. Like talk a little bit about that, about how we should be thinking about game selection when we have options.
2: So most people do not play poker to win as much money as possible. They play poker to gamble or to pass the time or to interact with friends or to push the boundaries of the game or whatever. Their goal, even though they think it may be to win money is not to actually win money. And to be fair, all you really have to do to win at poker is find a game you can beat, which means you're adequately skilled to beat your opponents. Mm-hmm. You need to play it a lot. You need to keep a proper bankroll. And if you do those things, you will definitively win in the long run. But most people do not do all three of those things. They may do one or two of them, but not all of them. And to be fair, I, even I was like, before I started talking uh, to the guy who was making the content, like I did not realize how in depth these three-handed games are. Like I was messing up eight big blind poker. Turns out you get to have a limping strategy a lot from the small blind. And, I would often just use a shove or fold chart, and that's wrong. I was torching my money, right? Which resulted in me roughly breaking even in these games, despite being really good at shove or fold poker. Turns out you have other options, right? And it turns out there's a lot of mixed strategies, and it's a a tough game. And I fully recognize it's a tough game since I've studied it a decent amount. I've been through a lot of the content. And most people do not recognize that, right? They think it's just a bingo game. And if you think that, well, you're going to lose your money. (laughs) And uh, I want to make sure I'm not losing my money. Also, um, sit-and-goes are a game where you kind of need to put in a lot of volume to essentially guarantee a decently high win rate. And at this point in my career, I don't really want to sit and play in the spin-and-goes that I, if not a world-class sit-and-go player, could beat. So maybe I could beat, let's say, $50 games. Maybe that lets me win 50 bucks or 100 bucks an hour, which is good money, but not like a ton of money. And I'd rather be hanging out with my kids at this point. So that's why I do not sit there and grind it out all day because I do not want to sit and grind out spin-and-goes all day. And especially with a game like spinning goes, there's going to be an immense amount of variance and you got to put in good volume to get that giant multiplier. And then you have to win that giant multiplier. So I realize that is not for me right now. That said, if you gave me that game when I was younger and had a lot of free time to sit down and grind out poker, I would have loved it.
0: Yeah, I love the uh, the parenting analogy. I've got three kids now. They're all grown, right? But I had them all, you know, three years. Within three years, they're there. And I think there are t- days where I was just grinding out being a parent, too. So you know, so sometimes, you know, those days are good. Sometimes you're grinding it out like you're grinding out online. But um, I love that. I'm, I'm curious about the book a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned you're doing the rewrite coming out maybe in June. Uh, so you learn some new things. You actually now have some some affirmation on some things that you taught. Now you have got the the solver support. But like, how much of the book is new? Would you say, or you know, if somebody's kind of read the books already, uh, why should they get the new books? Like, what's the what what's new or what's exciting about the the new version? So back then there were no game theory optimal solvers. So nothing
2: was definitively known. Everything was kind of speculation. Like books were written from the point of view of this is what I do as opposed to here's how you do it, right? I mean, there are a lot of training sites, training courses where the pros just show a lot of solvers and say, here, do this, or they show themselves playing and say, here, copy what I do. But I do not think that is how people learn at all. You need to give them implementable, actionable strategies. And to be fair, back when I wrote the book a long time ago, a lot of it was, here's what I do, because I, I didn't know how to teach people. I was a young, dumb kid. and uh, I, I've learned a lot about how to play poker and why specific plays are made, and how to structure your range as well. And I've also learned how to teach a whole lot better in the last ten years. So um, it's a substantially updated version, and there's a lot of stuff that I that, that I've added. I mean, so the first two books they came out to like 450 pages total, and now it's currently sitting at about 675. So it's a little bit big. We may have to trim down on some images or something, but um, it's it's a giant book. It may end up being too big. Uh, that's that's a problem we're currently dealing with is I made the books too too in-depth. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Troy? Hey, Jonathan. Um, Hello? Just a quick quick question, mate. So when you talk about um, GTO and how GTOs become far more uh, relevant to the games, f- for the players who play small t- stakes, tournies, how relevant do you see it being?
2: So I'm a big fan of learning roughly what the GTO strategy is and then learning how to adjust to take advantage of whatever your opponents do Incorrectly, And I mean, I I had an office hours call with my poker coaching students this morning. And one of the spots that always comes up is on the river. My opponent makes a big bet. What do I do? And the answer is, if they are bluffing too often, you call with a ton of hands. And if they're not bluffing often enough, you fold almost everything. It really is that simple. But you have to figure out what your opponents do. And if your opponents have some gigantic flaw in their game, like for example, in small stakes games, maybe your opponents don't check-raise bluff the river often enough, let's say. So if you find yourself on the river and you value bet with, I don't know, two pair, top pair, top kicker, or an over pair or whatever, and they check raise you, you should probably fold, even though from a GTO point of view, you'd find a whole lot of calls in these spots. So you have to recognize that, right? And say you find yourself against a lunatic on the river who loves to check raise bluff, then value bet middle pair and call it off when the guy raises you, right? So you got to figure out what your opponents to do and then you have to adjust your strategy accordingly. But you need to know where to adjust from and where to adjust to, right? Like you would not value bet, you know, queen high and then call a check raise against a lunatic, right? That would just be too loose because they're gonna be bluffing with some better hands. So you have to know where to start and then where to adjust to. And a lot of people approach poker from the point of view of, I know how to beat my particular opponents, but then whenever they start playing against players who play a little bit better or they're not sure what they do wrong, they don't really know what to do. They're just kind of guessing where they're playing against this hypothetical opponent they know how to play against. And to be fair, that's what a lot of the like old poker books were written about. I remember a book a long time ago that was written in the 70s. It said something to the effect of if you raise ace king and someone re-raises you, you better fold because they they're only re-raise with aces. And I'm sitting here reading this as, you know, an uh, 18-year-old kid thinking, what? <laughs> I'm not folding the ace king. And it would have been horrible to fold the ace king. It's horrible to fold the ace king today. You're just ripping your money in, right? But back then, that could be right. It probably wasn't, but it could be right. And... That's the problem with learning a strategy like that, is that, yeah, you can beat this one type of incredibly weak, tight, nitty player, but that's not all the players you're gonna play against. So you need to know how to play against everyone is what it amounts to. And as your opponents get better and better, you're often not going to do, or you're not gonna know what they do wrong. Maybe they'll be a little bit too loose or a little bit too tight, but you're not gonna know it because you're not gonna have good data on them and you're not gonna get to play with them all the time. right? So the way you beat them is just by playing closer to GTO than they do. And whenever you show up to, new, to a new game, if you don't know what your opponents do wrong, you should probably start playing roughly GTO, exploiting whatever the player pool does incorrectly. Like we discussed earlier, the player pool in general doesn't check-raise the river unless they have the nuts. So that's that's a player pool exploit that you can probably use right off the bat.
0: I, I'm I'm curious, okay. so, you know, Ed, what I love about your, all of your research and writing that you've done is you, you do run the gamut. It's not just, you don't just play these 10 Ks and higher. you know, you've, you've written about small stakes poker and all these things. So we talk about GTO and exploitative play and all these things. I'm curious, as you go down in, in the ranks, you mentioned check raising the river as, as an exploit that they don't do it enough. Are there other, you know, for recreational players, others? give us an example of one or two or three other things where you just generally think, you know, lower level people, are really exploitable. Are they opening too many hands? Are they bluffing too much? Are they not bluffing enough in spots? Are there, what are those few things that you think is is the biggest deviation from GTO for recreational players? Most players
2: do not protect their passive ranges nearly often enough. And to be clear, I I make a point to play smaller stakes games and in addition to, the regular high stakes games would play to make money because it's my job to teach my students how to win. And I need to make sure I get experience in those games. I am not someone playing the high stakes games because then I'd be out of touch to some extent, right? So it's very important to make sure you stay in touch when you're trying to help people learn whatever it is they're trying to learn. And essentially even in the medium stakes games and high stakes games, unless you're playing against a really, really strong player, whenever someone calls as opposed to raises, My English is messed up. Whenever someone calls your bet when they could have raised, they usually lack the absolute best hands. So what happens is their calling range becomes relatively capped at you know top pair bad kicker or worse. So let's say a a spot that comes up all the time is they fold you in the small blind, right? Fold you in a small blind playing any stack depth really, but let's say 50 big blinds deep. That's a spot where the GTO strategy involves a lot of limping because you're getting very good pot odds. Mm -hmm. But you should actually be raising a lot. I've I've seen many, many samples from good players where they've done a lot of limping, a lot of raising. And it turns out way over raising, raising way too often, makes way more money than playing the GTO strategy in this spot. Because when you raise from the small blind, people fold their big blind too often. Just a little bit too often. They overfold by five or 10%. And then when you continuation bet the flop for 40% pot or 30% pot, they overfold by five or 10%. Mm. And this results in you just picking up little bits of equity on every betting ground and you essentially just run them over. Now, sometimes you're going to triple barrel off and they're going to call you down and you're going to lose a lot of money. And that's what deters a lot of people from making these aggressive plays because they're deathly afraid of getting stacked. But you got to understand you're going to get stacked sometimes when you play poker, especially when you're playing poker tournaments, most of the time you lose, right? It doesn't really matter how you lose as long as you are making equity along the way. And triple barreling from the small blind is a spot that you'll make a ton of money, but a lot of people don't want to do it. They just want to limp or they want to fold a lot. And that results in their opponents winning small bits of money. So mm-hmm. that, that's the spot that comes up very regularly. Um, usually whenever you raise before the flop, if someone in the blinds re-raises you, if they 3-bet you, that's usually a much stronger range than normal. Most people do not bluff nearly often enough. They should usually be 3-betting stuff like good suited connected hands, good suited high cards. And they just don't. They just do a lot of calling. So typically when people 3-bet from out of position in the blinds, it's very, very weighted towards value hands, which allows you to call with your hands with good implied odds and fold everything else. Um, some people who are a little bit overly aggressive, they know they're supposed to three bet a lot, so they three bet the button and the cutoff a lot, which is which may be fine, but then they fold too often to four bets. So find those people who are a little bit overly aggressive pre-flop who expect their opponents to play straightforwardly against uh, three bets, and then just four bet them a ton. So really, you want to look for spots where your opponents are out of line either by being too aggressive or too passive and you got to pay attention right take notes on your opponents if you see that they fold a lot in a particular scenario you should start bluffing a ton and if you see them you know putting their money in very frequently like let's say you raise from the cutoff and they three bet from the small blind, if you know their range is really strong there and it seems like they never fold to you well they're probably not going to they probably just have a lot of good hands so you want to take notes pay attention to what your opponent's doing correctly and then adjust your strategy accordingly
0: Just sounds so easy just it's so easy right we'll just just play this way and adjust. Come on. If you know what they're going to do, it actually
2: is very easy. The hard thing is, is actually knowing what they're going to do and putting in an adequate amount of volume with a proper bankroll to withstand the natural swings you're going to experience. Because, I mean, for example, the triple barreling spot from the small blind, I can guarantee it makes more money than limping. I have loads and loads of data on it. But you are going to have bigger swings because sometimes you're going to bet the flop, bet the turn, shove the river. They're going to call you with top pair and you're going to be out. Or sometimes they're gonna call you with bottom pair because you just happened to run into one of the calling stations. Mm-hmm. And you know you don't know, you're, you just know it's profitable against the player pool in general. And when that happens, take notes, okay, don't triple barrel this guy all that often because they call down really wide. And then next time you run into that player, you'll know to not triple barrel them. So definitely look for spots like that, but understand you're, you're going to have swings.
0: And that's okay, enjoy it. And that's okay, right, <laughs> Chapo.
3: Um. Just another quick question on that. So when you're playing live, uh, I play a lot of live tourneys, if you haven't quite worked out the accent yet. So I'm down in Australia. Um, the live tourney scene is still um, up and running. Uh, I play in a lot of the tourneys that might be up to, say, $150 to $200 buy-in. Uh, there's a core group of people that you get to see fairly regularly, and then there's a whole group of people that you just do not see. And, uh, for example, on the weekend... Uh, using your terminology, because I, I listen to you a lot on your stuff, we have people that call too often pre-flop, and then they melt away after uh, after the flop. Now, what do you see as the best exploits in those sort of games? Well, So if um, they call
2: too often pre-flop, but then they fold too often by the river, you should be happy to just extract a, a lot of folds on the turn in the river, right? So they're going to put money in, pre-flop and then drastically overfold later, which is what a lot of people do, um, that should result in you bluffing a lot on the turn of the river. So play normally pre-flop, right? Don't, don't get too out of line pre-flop and then just be willing to bluff way more often with hands that cannot win at the showdown. Any gut shot straight draw or two over card type hand or whatever, any hand that cannot win at the showdown realistically, you should be bluffing with it. And maybe even stuff like bottom pair, like if you know they're gonna check, call your flop bet with middle pair, and check call your turn bet with middle pair, but then check folded on the river, you should maybe be turning those types of hands into bluffs. Um, I did an episode, I have a morning show on Mondays called A Little Brain Fuel, it's a drink that I like to drink. Um, so we, we wake up, we have some brain fuel, and we talk about a spot. And the spot we had today was, uh, should you be value betting top pair bad kicker on the river? Like you know, should you be going for thin value? And the spot I had was we raised king three on the button, big blind calls, comes king 10 four. They check, we bet, they call, turn to whatever, six, they check, we bet, we call, river's a two. So we have top pair, bad kicker. When they check here, you have to ask, are you against someone who will fold out literally every hand worse than your king? Some people will, some people won't. But what a lot of people do wrong, especially in small stakes cash games and small stakes tournaments, is they think their only bet size option is a big bet size. So they'll pot the flop, pot the turn, pot the river. And if you do pot every street, yeah, they're probably only gonna call with better hands but instead you should be betting, you know, 40% pot on the flop and 40% pot on the turn. And then like 30% pot on the river. And you're gonna find that your opponent's gonna call you with all sorts of tens and all sorts of random underpairs. So you wanna make sure that you are using the correct bet size for your specific type of hand. And it turns out hands like top pair bad kicker much prefer to go for smaller bets on the river than bigger bets. So make sure you're using the proper bet size option. I mean, going back to exploitative versus GTO on the river in scenarios like that, you may find that you should bet small with all of your value hands and big with all of your bluffs, which is incredibly exploitable and exploitative. And your opponents can absolutely crush you if they know what you're doing wrong. But if they fold to big bets all all that, you know, too often in that scenario, then they're never going to see it. Right. And whenever you value bet the river small and they call every time, they're going to think, oh, the guy just always has the nuts. And... Maybe they'll put it together, maybe they won't. It's tough to know, but you need to get in there and maximally exploit your opponent. And that's kind of what that entails to some extent. So figure out which bet sizes they really love calling and which bet sizes they fold to very frequently and then do whatever makes the most sense. You may find a lot of people overfold to overbets. That's something I've seen a lot in small stakes games. If you put out a 1.3X pot river bet, they're going to go, you're trying to get full value from me, I fold now. Whereas other people may think the exact opposite. I'm going back to another small stakes exploit when your opponents overbat the river. They almost always have a good hand. They do not overbet bluff nearly often enough. And um, you should you should probably overfold whenever they decide to put in tons and tons of money.
0: Yeah, that was that was a leak I learned the hard way because I always think, well, they're never gonna bet that much with a real hand. Like, you know, why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. Don't they want to get value? And then I'd call them and they'd have it. You know, I'm like, wow, dang it, I'd fall for that. And now I've I've learned that that that's very <laughs> rare in the games that we play, like. That people are doing that as a bluff. So, yeah, most people just use, they bet big when they have a good hand, right? right. So they want to get value. I mean, but that's that said, other people do the exact
2: opposite. Right. That's where you have you to pay attention to and adjust.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Ready, right. did you have follow up or is that good? No, no, that's good. Awesome. Thank you. Right. Yeah. So I got, a, I got a question, Jonathan, as we start to wrap up. A question that was submitted by our content director, Chris Jones. Uh, he actually, it's a, it's a hand breakdown, but he's just kind of want, we're not going to break down the whole hand, just kind of wants your perspective on this. Um, He he says, I've been re-watching the main event coverage from 2019. There's that somewhat famous hand where Marshington triple barrels into Ensign. Most everyone agrees that this is a rather ICM disaster for Marshington because he's needlessly giving up millions of dollars in ICM against the only other big stack at the table. But I don't think there's been enough discussion of Ensign's call. He snaps him off. But should he in this spot? So here's the hand. There are 21 left. We're guaranteed $325,000. At 18, we get paid $400,000 with 10 million up top. Three tables. We're second in chips at our table with 48 million. Marshington has 70 million in chips. Blinds are 250, 500,000. We open ace of spades, five of diamonds from the cutoff to 1.1 million. The big blind, Marshington, defends. The flop comes ace of hearts, eight of diamonds, five of spades. So rainbow, ace, eight, five, and we have the ace, five offsuit. Uh, we lead, we lead out uh, small for 1,000,000. I'm so sorry. One second. So check. big blind checks, right? All right big blind checks. So we're just continuation. Yeah, we didn't lead out yet. It says, okay, okay. the big blind checks. Uh, we continue for 1,000,000 and we get check raised to 3.8 million. We call. Turn is a two of clubs. So full rainbow board. The big blind now bets eight and a half million, which we call. The river is the six of diamonds. So the full board is the ace of hearts, eight of diamonds, five of spades, two of clubs, six of diamonds. Pot is now about 30 million. Marshington bets 25 million and we snap call. When we call and we're right, we're the overwhelming chip leader with 21 left in the main event. When we call and we're wrong, we're down to 17 bigs and one of the shorter stacks on the table. So I think Chris just wants to talk a little bit about the, the snap call and what, what are your thoughts on that one?
2: Uh, he had two pair, two pairs really good. <laughs> Don't pull two pair. <laughs> Um, I mean, like in reality, if you think about this, this, this is a spot where the big stack is highly incentivized to try to bluff you because you're the very clear, solid medium stack, right? So this is a spot where the big stack will be overly aggressive, and also in this scenario, you don't really even lose to a whole lot, right? You lose to what ace five, I mean, you lose to ace eight and you lose Either to pocket eight, something, yeah, and you lose to like the, whatever the random gut shot is that came in. And I mean, sometimes it's gonna have it, yeah. but that's fine, right? I mean, this is a scenario where your hand is really good. You beat a lot of other value hands. For all you know, your opponent's check-raising 8-5 or ace-9 mm-hmm. or whatever. Who knows what the guy's doing? Because, I mean, who knows how the big stack got his big stack. Quite often, the big stack is a little bit overly aggressive, a little bit bluff-happy. Mm-hmm. So, no, this is just the easy call now. And I like the way the guy played the hand, too. I mean, I would not have re-raised. A lot of people in the spot think, oh, I want to re-raise the flop because I'm afraid of getting out But no, no, no. You want that big stack in there with all their nonsense. I mean, do we know what the big stack, I mean,
0: probably like Queen Jack or something absurd. Yeah, I don't, he, didn't, he did not display and I don't remember personally, I don't remember the hand, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's really a spot, you shouldn't be bluffing all that often, but the big stacks will get out of line and try to run you over. Also, it's worth noting that you're down to 20 something people there, it actually isn't all that much payout implication or that many payout implications right now, because yeah, it's a 75K payout jump between, or between wherever you are in the next payout jump, but that's not actually all that money in the grand
0: scheme of things. So chapel is like, me too. No, no, you're right. With a $10 million, you got to keep it in proportion. It's seven buy-ins. Who cares? I mean, (laughs) this is really not that big. of Every recreational player in the history of recreational playing cares, but (laughs) no, I get your point. Yeah. I mean, you always have to think in terms of buy-ins. If you care
2: about the money at the end of the tournament, you probably should not have played the tournament to begin with. And a lot of people don't like that idea because they're trying to get rich. But if any individual tournament will make you feel as if you're rich, you're probably going to make errors towards the end of the tournament. And this is a spot where if you bust in 20th place or 15th place or 13th place, it's all effectively the same. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you take first, second, or third, that actually is substantial money. So, right. This is a prime spot to just let the guy bluff off. I mean, I love the way the ace five played it. I'm not even raise pre-flop, but if I am going to raise pre-flop with the ace five and the cutoff into the big stacks, big blind, um, I'm definitely not folding. That's for sure.
0: I want to, yeah, I get two pair. So do you think, yeah. I mean, to, to Chris's point, I, you know, do you think the Marshington was an ICM disaster? Or do you feel you kind of like how he played that aggressively because he's going to get a lot of folds. He just happened to run into two pair. I don't, I think there, there really
2: aren't that big of payout implications right here. Like I don't view this as necessarily even an ICM spot. This is a time where, yeah, it's a 75K payout jump or whatever it is. And then the next payout is probably 100K or something. But again, it's all buy-ins. And we're playing for the thousand buy in first prize, right? A thousand's a lot, and 500's a lot, and 250's a lot. Seven is not a lot. And you just gotta recognize like this is the type of risk you must take in order to get a hold of chips. This even isn't even a risk. Like it, this would be a way more interesting hand if the guy had ace four or something for top pair, no kicker. Even then, I'd still just call it down. So, I mean, the fact that he have five makes this a no brainer, but I mean, no, give me ace four, I'd still probably call if you tell me the guy's aggressive. Yeah. When, this when is a spot where you wanna do everything you can to look as weak as possible with your hand. You want to make your opponent think you're going to fold it by the river, and then you don't fold it, and
0: then you just right. win the tournament. <laughs> yeah, you look like you're getting sticky with pocket jacks or something, right? That he can maybe bluff, bluff you off of later.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. And then, then don't let him bluff you. <laughs> then don't let him, then don't. Follow. I mean, this is actually something a lot of people do wrong. They will bet the flop, call the flop check raise, call the turn bet, and then when their mm-hmm. opponent, who is highly incentivized to bluff, decides to bluff, or decides to bet they're like oh well i guess he has it now i guess i have to fold but that results in you doing exactly what that opponent wants you to do you just lose a gigantic pot you just, you just hand it to him it's a disaster so, so home- any other play in this scenario besides call down is almost certainly a big blunder unless of course the big stack is weak and tight and passive mm-hmm. the most big stacks are not weak and tight and passive
0: so how much of that are you should you be? I mean, I think I know the answer, but talk a little bit about thinking of that in advance. So on the flop, you know, they they check, you bet, they check raise you. And now against a you know, an aggressive big stack like that, at this point we should be realizing, right, that there's a good chance they're gonna barrel turn and river. So is it at that point in time that you are deciding if I'm gonna underrepresent my hand by just calling their check raise in a sense? Am I at that point, unless the board really runs out scary, am I really committing to say, I'm just going to let, I'm just going to call down all the way through. Am I deciding at that point? Or is it really a street by street decision? Like, you know, you want to think ahead, but you know, is that part of that thought process? If I call this 3.8 million, I'm, I'm planning on calling Turn and river and just let them go. I mean in this scenario
2: your hand is just so good that it, yeah. yeah you're not folding i mean if it runs off two straight cards you're not folding just because when the two straight cards run off I'm putting four to a straight on the board but you guys highly and devise the bluff but you're making that
0: decision on the on the flop right when you just decide well, that's because
2: it. this hand is so amazingly good right 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 i mean so i have a tournament masterclass where i go through all sorts of scenarios like this from an exploitative point of view a gto point of view comparing them etc and whenever you flop a really good hand you're just not trying to fold it So what you would do in this spot is you would call the flop check raise with lots of pairs, all of your aces, all of your eights. Um, Probably don't bet under pairs on the flop all that often. You may not bet all that many eights on the flop. This Mm -hmm. is a spot where you have to be a little bit cautious where when you bet the flop, you want to bet the flop with really good hands, pretty good hands, and then some just junk. You don't really want to bet hands like Kings where if you bet and get raised, it's miserably bad. Um, So you're already betting kind of polarized on the flop where you have either a pretty good hand or not such a good hand. And that makes their life really easy because then you just call down with the good hands and don't call down with the bad hands. So you may call the flop with any ace, any eight, some fives. If you make two pair on the turn with your eights and fives, you obviously don't fold those. And um, you call, call the turn with, you fold out like the fives and the eights on the turn that do not improve. Right. And then you still call it all the aces. And then on the river, you probably call it a lot of aces too, but in general, you want to be folding out some amount of hands on each betting round to your opponent's aggression, usually 20 30 40% of your range, depending on their size, and that's fine. But you have to ask, is two-pair ever going to be in the bottom 30% of my range even after I call a flop check raise and a turn bet and a river bet? Like, is it ever, is it ever in the bottom 30%? It's just not. 2 pairs really good. So in tournaments or in, any, in most games, when you make two-pair, you're going to lose a lot of chips whenever you're beat. Your goal is to just figure out how to keep your opponent's range as absolutely wide as possible, which is what this ace five did, right? He didn't re-raise the flop and jam it all in. He could have, but it would have been a pretty big error because then his opponent doesn't get to bluff it off.
0: So when when is the, so the, the thought process of basically saying, what's the highest EV play on this? It's just to call that, that check raise. But the, I assume that there are some opponents where you're thinking, you know, maybe not in the world series, main event with three tables left, but where you're thinking they're only check raising me with ace king or ace queen, I mean, is that an opportunity? Is that where you think about maybe re-raising them on that flop when they check raise you because they're never going to fold that? Or would you do you think generally, you know, the way this sort of played is sort of the standard highest EV uh, path? I think this is almost always the right play
2: uh, okay. with the Ace Five because also you got to think Ace King and Ace Queen would re-raise before the flop a lot of the time.
0: Right. Yeah. Because this was cut off against so maybe blind, right? Maybe right Ten kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not
2: so worried about Ace King or Ace Queen. Uh, really, your opponent's range here to check-raise the flop should be a whole lot of really good hands They can beat ace-king or ace-queen because you have ace-king and ace-queen a lot. Yeah. So they want to be check-raising a lot of two pairs and they want to be check-raising a lot of draws. And how do you do against two pairs? You're actually kind of marginal against them with ace-five. How do you do against draws? You're in great shape and who knows what draw they have. They could have gut shots, open it, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, also, the nice thing about calling in a tournament is that you often don't end up broke if you are beat. Right. right? Like right here, he sells 17 big blinds if he loses. Um, and, and to be clear, the big stack still has a lot of chips if he loses too. So this, this is not like a super ICM heavy scenario because neither player is really at risk in this hand. Like, yeah, a lot of chips are at risk, but win or lose, either player still gets to continue in this tournament. Nice. So I don't, even, I don't even view this as that much of an ICM spot. Okay. Don't fold two pair. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you lose. It's okay.
0: I mean, mean, you got to think
2: about this too, right? Like, say you do fold out two pair. What are you calling with? If you're folding out Ace Five, you're folding out Ace King and Ace Queen and Ace Jack and Ace Ten. You're folding out everything, besides what sets? Six combinations
0: of sets or nine combinations of sets, whatever. Chris was probably thinking about you know the fact that he snap called, but I, I assume it's because he's already predetermined what he's going to do, right? He already knows I, I'm calling this guy's bet, no matter what it is in the river, so. Yeah, does. he looked at his two cards.
2: The ace and the five are connected with the board very well. Two pair is good. Don't fold two pair. He played it great. <laughs> Don't fold then, good hands.
0: And then you might as well go on and win the whole, the whole thing like Anson did, right? I mean, you gotta realize like this, this is like a
2: top 5% hand or something. You can't go around folding 95% of your range. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you will lose and never make a deep run in tournaments if you go around folding hands that are in the very, very yeah. top of your range. Yeah, if no, you I'm do fold out hands at to the top of your range, you probably screwed up somewhere. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Don't be afraid. It's okay Don't to lose.
0: Well, uh, we'll, well, we'll start to wrap up there. But Jim, Troy, any, uh, any questions? Anything you want to jump on and add there, Jim?
1: It's like the idea that it's okay to lose. You're there to win in the long run. You're not there to win every hand you play. So make good decisions. Let the losers go and celebrate the wins. Love it, Jonathan. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and also, I mean, going back to the pound implications, like we said, I mean, yeah, the 75K is a lot but you're really trying to win these million dollar payout jumps right. and not the 75K payout jumps. You're willing to lose now some portion of time in exchange for having the opportunity to win a lot of chips later. Yep. And sometimes you're going to lose. I mean, yep. I, I, I've had that, that those results in my tournament career, I've had a bunch of 12th places and six places and ninth places, often in scenarios like this. I remember I had one recently in Montreal where I had top pair against a loose aggressive kid and, I had uh, like ace jack on like ace eight three. Similar spot, right? He check raised me. I called. He bet the turn. I called. He jammed the river. I called. And he showed me a set and I was out. <laughs> Fine. You know, sometimes I win the tournament. Sometimes I take eight. Right. Yep. Eight, seven, six, fifth. It's all kind of the same. And,
3: um, but at that point, though, Jonathan, when you were doing that, the hand that you decided at that point, you're happy to get it in basically if he's going to keep barreling the way through. And if you. If you call the way down there and win, it gives you the best chance at winning that tourney, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and, it, and also like Ace-Jack is really good on
2: Ace-8-3, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that goes back to the same thing. You just cannot fold out hands that are at the very top of your range. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you're just going to get absolutely crushed there and over by your opponents. And, you know, sometimes you just lose. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Sometimes you're going to win too. If you fold out these spots, so you can guarantee you're not going to win. Yep. You, may, you may get a free yeah, ladder. But mm-hmm. I'd like to win every once in a while, and that's how you end up with a bunch of trophies behind you is by taking these risky <laughs> spots and busting out in 12th place or 8th place some portion yeah, of the yeah, time. And I've actually kind of had semi-bad runs in these spots, I think, over the last few years where I've had a decent amount of 7th, 8th, ninths, and it's
0: okay. I'm yeah. happy with
2: it. I'm going to keep doing it.
0: <laughs> Invariably, what happens is you fold that two pair in that big spot or whatever, and then... Then you end up blinding off and never getting anything going and you bust out anyway, you know, two spots later, and you're like, why didn't I just call with the two pair? Like, why who maybe I was wrong, but man, I wish I had that back and I just wish I would have done that. I've never felt that emotion in my life
2: because I've never folded the two-pair. <laughs> so I don't know that well, feeling whatsoever.
0: Well, we'll try to relate, we'll we'll try to make it relatable <laughs> anyway. That's awesome. Well, let's <laughs> let's wrap up there, but Jonathan, tell us uh, tell us how people can connect with you if they don't already know, if they don't not already connected. They're like, who's this guy, Jonathan Little Sweet? He's rewriting the book and he's got PokerCoaching.com. Like how, how do people connect with you?
2: Well, there you go. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Jonathan Little. You can get a free trial membership at PokerCoaching.com slash free. I have a YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash PokerCoaching. We upload videos five or six days a week there. It's a lot of work, lots of stuff going on. I do my best to put out lots of good
0: content for you in whatever format you want to get it. So make sure you get it. It's amazing stuff. So we'll let you go there. You can, you're welcome to stick on while we play your commercial, because uh, that, that's part of what we do here between segments. But uh, but uh, then we're going to do some community stuff. But Jonathan, thanks so much, man. Great, great friend of poker. Thanks for all you do. Great ambassador for the game. And for so many people, they're like, uh, they just consume your stuff like crazy. And they, they love the game because of uh, your investment in them. So thank you for that. Well, thanks for having me.
2: Keep up the great work.
0: All right, we will do that. All right, there he goes, you guys. Jonathan Little, uh, one of the great ones. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, if you haven't heard enough of his voice, uh, we'll play a little uh, a little, uh, <laughs> a little advertisement right here, Jim.
1: Yeah, I think I hear him coming back right now. Here we go.
0: Never wondered whether you should call a preflop raise
2: or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a 1,000 interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free
0: account at PokerCoaching.com slash poker right now. All right, there he is. Jonathan Little, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, he's been a great friend of the show. Sponsors uh, with, through an advertisement now, and that's fantastic. But uh, what do you guys think? Any uh, any feedback from that?
1: He's just one of the great minds in poker. It's always uh, always fun having him on and and picking his brain. I really like that point about the uh, buy-ins being what matters. And if if you're in a tournament where if you feel like you really might get rich at the end of it, then that's a tournament that you're not really bankrolled to play. That is a good way to think about it. In these spots where we're taking a shot and Troy, we have even talked about that before, I think, right. About that, like the mentality of taking a shot and the decision-making that, that uh, goes into that. So I thought that was a really good insight.
3: Yeah. I also, I've always liked how he talks about the small stakes games as well. And it's interesting to hear someone who plays at the highest levels and then talk about winding it back to uh, small stakes games and being able to basically just, like talking him today, where he's just saying to barrel through certain hands and just watch them melt away. I just think it's it's very insightful the way he thinks about the game. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I was trying to trying to do like the math of trying to equate this like a hundred dollar tournament. So, you know, the the ICM or the you know the implications or whatever. So basically, it's like if you had a hundred dollar tournament, the pay jump was another seven fifty, which isn't immaterial, but it you know puts it in perspective. Instead of thinking seventy five thousand, it's like oh, the pay jump was seven fifty, <laughs> but it's a hundred thousand to win the tournament. You know, on a hundred dollar yeah. tournament, so. You, know, you start thinking about it like that way, like, okay, well, I could give up a little bit of 750 equity for the chance of winning a hundred thousand in a hundred dollar term. That kind of puts it in perspective, but in terms of sheer dollars, uh, that's just a, you know, $75,000 page. jump. the next one's like a hundred thousand. Like who cares?
3: <laughs>
0: it's 10 buy-ins. <laughs> Right,
3: exactly. Yeah. That if, if that happened in real life if my wife found out that it happened it'd be all over for poker <laughs> after that I, got, I called it off with with two pairs
0: yeah <laughs> i called off my whole sack with two pairs i was second and chips and i busted <laughs> you what you could have folded to another hundred thousand
1: right you idiot <laughs> danger
0: Oh my gosh, that's funny. Well, let's jump into some of the some of the community stuff. I know we're recording during the day, so we don't have as big of a panel. So we're, we're grateful that uh, Troy Chapman was able to join us from Australia to, to round it out a little bit. Um, but I've got the uh, the home game winner. So I'm gonna I'll do the Somsky thing. I'll see what I can do to to get I'll try to be John Somsky here. I, I can't do it justice. He's got a lot of other updates, but we'll run through the winners uh, for last week. So Uh, The winners, uh, the Dailies, uh, Cone Binkley, Eric Jin. we all know and love Eric, uh, great stuff, Glassjaw, 2222, doesn't have his stuff public, so if you want your name shown on here, make sure you make your profile public, you don't need to, uh, but we don't know his name or her name, but uh, I do know they're a heck of a player, Roadstar33, Randy Smith with a victory, Apple Oh My Eye, Harold Berry with the and victory.
1: J- Steve, yeah. if you're going to be the John Somsky here, it wouldn't be the same if I didn't interrupt. And I don't have anything really relevant, so I just have to interrupt to say, uh, if you haven't yet, go to rec.poker slash sweepstakes and enter our sweepstakes. You can win a whole free year of premium membership at rec.poker. Back to you, John.
0: <laughs> this, this is good for me because now I can empathize better with John. Yeah, that is kind of frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Harold Berry with a victory. Uncle Tom's Cabin, Jeff S. Uh, I know Jeff uh, from running aces. Congratulations uh, to him. Window guy, 1954, Howie Garen, uh, Howie, we've been, we've been, he's been climbing up the leaderboard, like top 10, top three, top two. Uh, and he didn't have his name public. He's like, how do I get my name public? And he did it just in time to get the shout out on the podcast. Uh, so he wins a daily uh, Keck Geek 65 every week. Wouldn't be the same if Jacob Kiki didn't get mentioned on here. So he won a mixed game. That must've been the mixed game practice. Uh, tournament, uh, which was PLO. Uh, So we're leading into uh, the second Wednesday of every month, we do our PLO, our mixed game tournament, PLO uh, in March. And so we run a practice tournament uh, every Saturday night. Uh, So Jacob took that down. Jill Burke, who goes by Illy Chippies, she wins the international tournament. The other international tournament was won by Rick the Good Dog, Rick Rock Omen. And then Be the Kid, Brian Morey, Uh, took down his first daily of the year, his second overall. uh, That must have been on Sunday night. So those are your home game winners. So just a a note to y'all, a lot of pins were given out. So these people have all earned pins. We keep track of the earned pins. If you buy merchandise, we send you your pins. If you're a paid member, we send you your pins. If you're not either of those things and you want your pin, send us 10 bucks, we'll send you your pin, or we'll hang on to it until we see you in real, real life. Uh, so that's the deal with the pins, but we do track them all. Uh, there's a lot of pins that we've given away. I got to, I got to order more, Jim. We get, we go through a lot of pins. Remember when we did this, Jim, when it was like, we're going to give away pins and we bought them an inventory of pins. And like we're going to give away a pin a month, one pin a month.
1: We, we honestly planned on giving away one pin a month I know. when we placed the order. Oh. And 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 I thought when, when we placed the order, Steve and I talked about getting like a bulk discount on some of the pins and we were like, no, nah, we'll never be able to give away that many pins. Why
0: would we order 250 pins?
1: Oh my God, we need more pins.
0: That's like six months worth.
1: <laughs> we're out of pins, we so need more pins. A lot of
0: money. So if you're wondering why we do need to charge a little bit, uh, feel free to wait until you get a, win a few pins then send us 10 bucks, we'll send you all the pins. But otherwise order some merch, order a hat or something like Chapo's hat uh, or be a premium member or you don't need your pins. Uh, but once we go live, I think a number of us are looking forward to sporting them on our on our hats or on our lapels or whatever. It'll be fun. Uh, we still haven't yet announced how to win the gold and the the bigger pins. We got there's four categories of pins. Only gold and silver, bronze and silver are out there now. So uh, with that, uh, anything else that we need to talk about, Jim? I teased up a few things at the beginning. You got anything on your mind or Troy?
1: Mm, we've got some new exciting uh, groups and forums coming out on the Rec Poker website. Yeah, you may see a few new events on Saturday afternoons as well. Um, We're still putting some of the finishing touches together on some of that. But basically, if you haven't been to Rec Poker in a while, get a free community membership. Just uh, uses your email to sign up and you can come post in the forums. We've got some free groups and uh, forums you can join in, uh, post hands there and that kind of thing. So I'd encourage you to go check it out. And to all our members, if you see anything that you think, huh, this isn't quite right or this could be better or we'd like to see more of this or get this junk out of here, then you can always email me, jim at rec.poker. And let's see what we can do to make it better for you.
0: Yeah, I think we've built a pretty good environment around that because uh, a fair number of people email say, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? This doesn't look quite right. Like, yeah, please tell us that. Like, that's what we want because if we don't know. We can't see everything. And so let us know if you see anything you want or anything that should be changed uh, for sure. A couple of real quick things. So uh, by the time you're listening to this, we recorded it on March 1st. You're going to listen to this on March 9th. Uh, the free and training We'll have wrapped up, and I tell you, it's been phenomenal. Uh, we are working on some things. Hopefully, we can make that training available to others, but you've had to be there, be there live, uh, and it's been really good. A lot of great learning and conversation has happened out of that. Uh, we talked about this more at length last time. If you missed it, go check it out, but the Learn Pro Poker Partnership is now officially announced. Super excited about that. If you're a premium member at Poker, you now have access to more of Learn Pro Poker stuff. But even if you're not, uh, there's some other things that you can engage with uh, back and forth. So just uh, check that out. We put an announcement out on the website. That's probably your best place to go and check out all the information there. The book study has been decided. Uh, Michael Acevedo, uh, which we decide maybe a two-year book study. We don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a good one, right? And I think that's uh, March 17th, I think. So uh, I think it's next week for when you're listening to this. Modern Poker Theory, right? Is that the name of it?
1: Oh, yeah. And it's a comprehensive theory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully application, it's not just theory. but Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this one. This yeah, is one that you need a group. You need a group to get through this one.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where my, my quote at the beginning, man. You get the right group of people. Uh, and they'll dig through it. I think Rob's pretty convinced. So let's just take it at the pace it comes, right? Yeah. There, there's no rush. We're, we, you know it's our, it's our own guideline. We're the bosses. We can decide. We don't have to complete one or two chapters every week. So uh, we'll take it at the, the book right pace. The
3: study is amazing as, as part of the, the membership office. So if I can encourage anyone to get involved in that, I've done the uh, short stack ninja and the game plan. Um, it's helped my game. And I just think it's an amazing resource that uh, people should take advantage of. And if you're not a premium member, get on board with it and uh, get involved. It's such a good way to engage with others out there in the community, talk hands and talk through concepts. Such a good way to uh, get your poker uh, moving forward.
0: I love that. Yeah, I should I should have had you just talk about it. I forgot that you're a big part of that that book study, but yeah, people participated like, man, it's so good. And I think it Depends on your learning style, but for most of us at Rec Pokers, like we like to learn in the context of community. And so yeah, when you can just read something, I heard this, I heard that, no, I heard this. Let's wrestle with that. What about that? Go on rabbit trails. Uh yeah, fantastic stuff. So you get to you get to listen to Troy's Australian voice too while he's doing that. If you're not listening to him, I mean Troy's doing some live streaming stuff too. So you should check out check out Troy, right? You're still doing some of that on the, the Discord channel, right?
3: Yeah. So uh it just there's no particular time. So I'll put a bit of a um uh, a warning up that I'm playing on GG and I'll home, I'll stream it on the Home Games channel. And keeping in mind, if I am streaming it, it's live. So um, if we And you've got the ability to talk through a hand with me and tell me that I'm doing it right or wrong. But uh, it's all fun. I'm playing in usually a small stakes tourney. Um, and if I'm on, jump on board, talk through a hand, make sure I do something different, wrong, right. It doesn't matter. It's all for fun. And if you want to do it, please jump on
0: yeah let's that's great the voice channel and discord for that
3: yep, yep. and uh i will stream, stream it so you can see exactly the uh the app the, the well that's app. right
0: yeah it's the voice channel but there is video with it as well yep. i know i jumped on there one time real quick it was pretty sweet man
1: Nice. And uh, our listeners uh, are going to get their ears full of Troy because I think, Troy, we did an episode of the Rec Room uh, podcast talking about game selection and uh, study habits, and that's coming out probably this week or in the next couple of weeks as well. So uh, there you go. Welcome to Troy Chapman. Thanks for being here, pal.
3: Instant celebrity status, Dan.
0: And the last thing I wanted to mention, just uh, I guess by the time this aired, we will have already had the first week of our Twitch. Thursday night is usually uh, streaming with Taylor Moss and eventually we got to get Chapo out there too. But uh, normally that's uh, Taylor Moss streaming the home game. And if he's doing some ACR stuff or whatever, but uh, for the month of March, we have my rec madness going on, which is our version of March madness, trying to squeeze it into the rec world. Uh, but eight of us playing heads up in a tournament bracket style format. And so I'm not going to tease anything, uh, but you will have already uh, viewed the first Thursday. So join us this Thursday. Uh, for the next uh, the next matchups of round one, uh, we did we're doing the first two matchups uh, on the first night, the second two matchups of round one in on the second week of March, and then you got round two, uh, those two matchups, and then you got. Uh, the heads up match is going to be the best of three between the other, the two people that advanced uh, the best of three uh, on that final Thursday,
1: Jim. And, and uh, Ryan LaPlante's going to join us and do some commentating in the booth for that. So we're actually going to have some uh, live analysis of the, of the results of the match. We've got the whole cards up so everyone can see the two crushes yeah. going at it. And uh, Ryan and I'll be laying on a little, a uh, little, uh calling the action and commentary so i'm really looking forward to
0: yeah so there will be commentary each week but yeah jim's talking about like the championship the best two out of three which hopefully it'll go three that would be fun but yeah jim and ryan will plant calling the action and like i said like how do you have the whole cards up well we did a little video editing we're going to do a little video editing so uh we've, we've got the recordings of the things we'll put them edit them so that both cards will be up uh, obviously not as they're playing but after the fact uh, so the commentary will be able to see both hands and make some, make some thoughts. So uh, if you ever wanted to kind of improve your heads up game, which I need to do for sure, uh, this is a great opportunity to do that. Kind of see what's happening and what people are doing and then hear the commentary. So uh, super excited about that deal. Uh, I think that's all I have. You guys have anything else happening around rec poker nation that we need to. Uh,
1: yeah, man, every day is just a new experience. There's something there's a video or an event. Like we've got three things happening on some days out here. Just come to Poker and check it out. You'll find something fun.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, and we're looking at other partnerships and we're looking at the live scene, man. Once we get to be like Troy and be live in Australia or whatever, but uh, we're, we're really looking at how can we, how can we go big when we go live and get community rebuilt around uh, so many of us that have been dying to see people. Um, so we're excited about what happens uh, once we get immunized and, and all that jazz. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's wrap it up there. Jim, I'll give you a signal in a second, but I've got to find my right, uh, my right slide. How's that? Because a little behind the scenes here. I can't find it. So Jim, why don't you just go ahead and I'll just wing it. All right. Well, thanks to Troy. Thanks to Jim. Thanks to Jonathan Little. Thanks to running Aces Texas Hotel on get Like.